Good evening, and thank you for joining us. We are continuing in our Bible study series, Reasons to Believe. Uh, we're picking up right where we left off last time in part five, the claims of Christ. And once again, those of you that are listening to this recorded message or others that may want to follow the notes, they are available on our church website at new-life-ministries.org and just follow the menus there and you'll find both the uh, recorded audio messages which you can either listen to or download and the outline notes. And we are now in part five, the claims of Christ. I believe this is a very important part of this Bible study. And of course, we are doing this study to equip ourselves both to strengthen our own faith and, as we saw at the very beginning, to be able to give an answer to people. Why are we Christians? What do we believe? Why do we believe what we believe? And we've gone through a number of different topics ranging from the authenticity of the Old and New Testaments, the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not like any other religion, and I would even argue it's not just a religion. And the section we began last night, and we're going to continue again tonight, is extremely important. As you read through the four Gospels, many, many different times, Jesus made claims about himself, who he was, what he could do, what he was going to do. And when you look at the list of the things Jesus claimed about himself, we saw there a couple of possible conclusions. Either he was a madman, just a, a deranged lunatic, out of his mind, uh, claiming all kinds of crazy things about himself, or he was a liar, deliberately deceiving people, some sort of a false Christ or false prophet, or all the things that he claimed about himself must be true. And I want to repeat a statement that we made last week, Many times you'll hear people say something along these lines. Well, I believe Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. Uh, he was a moral man. He may have even been some sort of a great prophet, but he's not the Messiah. He's certainly not God. And a lot of people buy into that lie, but it really is a lie. And when you look at it a little more carefully, you realize how absurd that line of reasoning is. Because Jesus can't be just a great moral teacher and even some sort of a martyr for the cause or a great hero because all of the things that he taught have to be true. Otherwise, he's a liar or a lunatic. And we saw last time that Josh McDowell, who wrote the famous evidence that demands a verdict series, he says in his book, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And of course, we believe that he's Lord, and as we continue looking at the many, many claims he made about himself, 
we're going to find out that 100% of these claims are true. Everything that Jesus said he was, he is, and he was going to do has been proven to be true. And again, either all of it is true, or if even some of it isn't true, we need to discard everything. He can't possibly be who he claimed to be if indeed half of the things or even some of the things that he claimed are not true. So, we're working our way through the four Gospels. And last time, we went through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we want to resume this study tonight by looking in the Gospel of John. But before that, let me just give a quick recap up to this point of some of the things Jesus said about himself. Now, these are claims that Jesus himself made. These are not claims that anyone else made. These are things that came from the very mouth of Jesus concerning himself. And we saw that on a number of occasions and in a variety of ways, he very clearly claimed to be the Messiah, the promised one that the Jewish people were waiting for. Uh, He claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He claimed to be greater than the temple, greater than the prophet Jonah, greater than King Solomon, whom uh, the Old Testament says was the wisest man in the entire Old Testament. Uh, He told his disciples very plainly that he is Christ, Messiah, anointed one, the Son of God. And numerous times he predicted his crucifixion and his triumph over death, his resurrection. He even told the high priest that he was Christ, the Son of God. And as he was about to ascend into heaven, he told his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth belong to him. We saw in Luke's gospel that he has power not only to heal the sick, but to forgive sins. And the Jewish leaders all understood what that claim meant. Only God can forgive sins. And of course, Jesus was claiming to be God, that he does indeed have power over sickness, and he does have the power to forgive sin. He is the anointed one promised by the prophet Isaiah. He read from the scroll of Isaiah in the temple, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me to preach good news, and he actually said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he claimed that his blood was going to initiate and seal the new covenant promised by Jeremiah and the other Old Testament prophets, his body and his blood would seal and ratify a whole new covenant that God was making. Now, I want to continue right along now in the Gospel of John. And of all the four Gospels, the Gospel of John has by far the most and the 
most varied list of claims that Jesus made. And we want to start in John chapter 2. The Gospel of John chapter 2. And we'll begin reading from verse 18. Here, as in several other scriptures that we've already seen, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection after three days. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And that's, of course, referring to the clearing out of the temple. And he continues on, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. But the temple he's speaking about was his body. So he's very clearly predicting the temple that he's talking about that would be destroyed in three days was his body, and that he would raise it up again. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. These are not claims that normal human beings make. Kill me, and three days from now, I'm going to be alive again. And probably one of the best-known sections of John's Gospel comes in the next chapter, John chapter 3. And let's pick it up from John 3 and verse 13. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And of course, the next verse is the one we all know, God so loved the world. But let's look at this a little more carefully. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Now, I don't meet too many people on the street who claim that they've come from heaven and they're going back to heaven. This was a claim Jesus repeatedly made. I came from heaven and I'm going back to heaven. And... He compares himself being lifted up, and I think it's a clear reference to the cross, just as he was about to be lifted up when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert, all of the Israelites that had been bitten with poisonous snakes, they were healed. And there's a beautiful picture here that, Mankind has been bitten 
with the poison of Satan, the poison of the serpent, and it's called sin, and it kills everyone who's been uh, victimized by it. And there's only one cure for that venomous bite. It's to look upon the Son of Man as he would be lifted up on the cross, and that looking to him, he compares in verse 15 to believing in him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross, and then of course lifted up from the grave. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here again, Normal human beings don't make claims like this, that if you look at me, you can be healed and you can have eternal life. This was a wild claim that Jesus repeatedly made, put your faith in me and you will live forever. And by the way, this phrase, son of man, it's often used by Jesus in reference to himself, uh, this could very well be an allusion, a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I want to read this from the New King James Version. It's a little clearer there. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So, repeatedly, Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. And when you find this term in the Old Testament, anyone living in Jesus' day would have clearly understood he was referring to the Messiah. The Son of Man will be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, in John chapter 4, we continue seeing amazing things that Jesus claimed about himself. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And in John 4, we'll begin at verse 10. Jesus answered her, that's the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Jesus had asked her for a drink. And he now says, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
This is an amazing claim. Not everyone makes claims like this, that I can provide you with living water. She answers, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Now, let's pause again for a moment. We've already seen that Jesus boldly proclaimed to be greater than the Sabbath, greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, and greater than Solomon. And she point-blank asks him, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, here's his answer. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He didn't give a direct answer to her question, but if you really follow what he's saying, his answer is yes, I'm greater than Jacob. I am the one who can give you living water. Jacob couldn't give you living water. He promised to be the one who could give her the gift of God and give it to all who would ask for it. And a little further down in this same story, we find yet another claim that Jesus makes with the Samaritan woman. Let's jump down to verse 25, John 4 and verse 25. Here we'll see that he plainly tells the Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. That's pretty clear. I know that Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I am he. I who speak to you am Christ. I am Messiah. In the next chapter, John chapter 5, Jesus claims to have the same power that his Father has to raise the dead. John chapter 5 and verse 19. John 5, starting with verse 19. <clears throat> Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Same power that the Father has to raise the dead has been given to the Son. 
And a little further in this same chapter, Jesus boldly declares that the Father has entrusted him with all judgment. All judgment will be carried out by Jesus, the Son. Uh, John 5, verse 22 to 30. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, let's just take a little breather here. Thus far, if you start to add up all of these claims, I think you'll be able to say what many others said about Jesus. Never have we heard any other man speak like this man. Nobody, no religious leader, has ever made these kind of claims, and certainly they've never been able to back up these kind of claims. Being able to give eternal life, being greater than Jacob, Solomon, Jonah, greater than the temple, the, the one who not only gave us the law, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the law. And on and on these claims go. And these are good for us to study, and the better we understand who and what Jesus claimed, the better we'll be able to understand how he fulfilled every one of these claims power over death, power to raise himself from death back to life, power to give living water, and so forth and so on. And while we're here in John 5, I want to look at one more portion of this chapter. And I think by the time we finish looking at the Gospel of John, you may want to just read the entire Gospel of John again and just see how many times Jesus spoke about himself. Now, proud people make all kinds of grand claims about themselves. They may be true, they may not. He was not speaking in arrogance. He was just speaking with authority. This is who I am. I was sent by my Father to carry out a certain assignment, 
and I don't do my own will. I do exactly what he sent me to do. And in John 5, dropping down to verse 31, he says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. Of course, he's talking about the Father. The Father is testifying about me. Verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. Remember, we saw last time, John the Baptist was also uh, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, and he was the precursor, the messenger who came before Christ to prepare the way for him. He bore witness to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus said, I have a testimony weightier than that of John the Baptist. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And just to stop here for another moment, remember last week we saw when John the Baptist was in prison, he began to have questions about whether or not Jesus was the one. And he sent several of his disciples to Jesus, inquiring, Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for another? And Jesus simply talks about the works he was doing. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, good news is being preached to the poor. Of course, all those were predictions, prophecies, that would have to be fulfilled by the Messiah, because they were all messianic prophecies. And so the very works that Jesus was doing testified to the fact that the Father sent him and that he was and is both Messiah and the Son of God. Now back to John 5, verse 37. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does, does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, let's look at this last section a little more carefully. Go back to verse 37. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard the Father's voice, nor seen his form. And this is a bold claim in verse 38 nor does his word dwell in you, 
for you do not believe the one he sent, namely, me. You do not believe in me, therefore God's word does not dwell in you. And referring especially to the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious people, he states, you diligently study the scriptures, that's good, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Just reading the Bible doesn't give us eternal life. The Bible testifies about Messiah, and believing in Messiah is what gives eternal life. So he says, you can study and study and study the Bible. You think that by studying or memorizing the scriptures, you possess eternal life. The scriptures testify about me. That's a bold claim. Basically, he's saying, the whole Bible is talking about me. The prophets were talking about me. The scriptures have been testifying about me. But you won't have eternal life because you refuse to come to me, the one who can give eternal life. So, Moving right along into the next chapter of John, it gets better. John chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This is when the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus approaches the boat walking on the water. John 6, starting with verse 19. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. The other Gospels say they thought it was a ghost. They were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. The Amplified translation, I think, brings out the true meaning here a little bit better. Let me read it to you. Verse 20 from the Amplified. Jesus said to them, It is I. Be not afraid. I am. Stop being frightened. And it actually gives the reference to Exodus 3, verse 14 where God tells Moses his name, I am that I am. So, when Jesus says, don't be scared, don't don't worry, I am. That's really what he's saying. He just simply, as he's walking to the boat, he says, I am. Don't be afraid. And of course, they were all Jews, They all knew what God's name is. He is the great I am. I am that I am. So, Jesus saying, don't be afraid. This is God walking on the water to you. This is the Son of God. This is Messiah. I am is here. And we'll see several other times in the Gospel of John where Jesus makes this claim to be I am. It's a very powerful claim 
and any Jewish person living in his day knew what he was claiming. He was claiming to be deity. I am God. A little further down in John 6, he declares that the Father has placed his seal of approval on Jesus, and here begins a list of a number of I am declarations. These are found only in the Gospel of John, and I love to go through these, and we're going to make a list as we go along, because, you know, you and I, we need to know who Jesus is. And when you look at all the claims that Jesus makes about himself, you begin to realize that no matter what your need is, Jesus is the provision, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the supply of that need. And this is the first of many such examples. John 6 and verse 27. Now, multitudes were following him, and they were getting fed. We read about him feeding 5,000 on one occasion, 4,000 on another, and quite frankly, that's all a lot of the people were following him for, to get a, a free lunch. And so, he starts by saying this in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's saying there are two different kinds of food. Your eyes are on the wrong kind of food. You're just looking to fill your physical stomach with some physical bread. But there's another kind of food that endures to eternal life, and this food the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has placed his seal of approval on him. And then in verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. A very simple yet powerful claim. I am that eternal food. I am the bread of life. If you feed on me, if you believe in me, you will never go hungry and you will never be thirsty. No other human being dares make such a claim. Only Jesus could make this claim. And in John chapter 7, notice in every single chapter we're finding examples of these claims in the Gospel of John. In John 7, starting with verse 37, Jesus boldly and plainly claimed that he was the one who would give the Holy Spirit to all believers. 
John 7 and verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Notice, the people understood. These kind of claims were not to be made by an ordinary man. And they knew from Deuteronomy 18 that a great prophet was promised by Moses. And they're basically saying, this is that prophet. He's the one we've been waiting for. He will give us streams of living water. He will be the one that gives us the promised Holy Spirit. And then in John 8, we find another one of these I am declarations made by Jesus. John chapter 8 and verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the bread of life, and now I am the light of the world. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you light. He says, I am light. I am bread. I am the one who can take away your darkness and help you to walk in light. In the same chapter, let's go down a little further. Here again, we'll see he claims to be Son of God, Messiah, sent by God. John 8, and we'll read first verse 18, and then we'll go down to verse 23. He says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Verse 23, he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be Notice those words, that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know 
that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Now, let's go back and look at a couple parts here. Notice, Jesus understood very clearly the claims he was making about himself. He was not deranged. He was not a deceiver. He was not a lunatic. He was in his right mind, very clearly and rationally making these declarations and claims about himself. First of all, in verse 23, here again he states, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Now, unless you've met some aliens on the street recently, we don't normally hear human beings talk like this. You are, are from earth. I'm not from earth. I'm from somewhere else. We'd think somebody was crazy if they were talking like that. But Jesus is telling them the truth. I'm not from this world. I'm not of this world. I am from above. I am coming to you from my Father. And it doesn't say this, but really what he's stating is, I have come from eternity down into this world, but I am not of this time, space, place you call the world. You're from here. You're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. But follow verse 24 carefully. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. Very plain language. I am the one I claim to be. Well, the one he claimed to be is Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One, the Savior, the Giver of eternal life. If you don't believe that claim about me, you will indeed die in your sins. And you know, that applies equally to anyone living on the earth today. Anybody that does not believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, they will indeed die in their sins. They may think he's a good moral teacher. They may think he was a hero. That's not enough. He says, if you don't believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And in verse 25, they challenge him. Who are you? His answer is just what I have been claiming all along. That's really what we're examining in this study, the claims of Christ. What I have been claiming all along. And in verse 28, he's very clear. 
when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. A clear reference to the cross and ultimately his resurrection. When the Son of Man is lifted from the grave, when he is resurrected from the dead, then you will have no doubt about who he is, that he is the one he claims to be. I think my favorite is this next passage in John chapter 8 again. And this is one of these lengthy uh, discourses back and forth between Jesus and the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And it's a rather lengthy section. We're going to read from verse 47 to verse 59. And here we add to the list, Jesus claimed to be greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than Jacob. Now he's going to blow the lid off and claim that he's greater than Abraham. From verse 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. That's a powerful statement there, and I wish I had time to develop that. But notice, our ability to hear from God has nothing to do with how well we know the Bible, how often we come to church, or even how many Bible studies we've listened to. It has everything to do with one word, belong. Notice this. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Plain and simple. So my advice to anyone and everyone listening tonight, and my advice to myself, is make absolutely sure that you belong to God. Because if you don't, you can't hear anything. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? Amazing. Just amazing. Claiming to be Messiah, and here they're telling him, you're demon-possessed. Verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. He is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's a bold claim right there. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. And notice this next question. Who do you think you are? That's really the question we're trying to answer in this whole Bible study. 
Who do you think you are? Who do you claim to be? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. It gets better. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They respond, You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And here it comes. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, you and I may not be able to understand or appreciate that, but verse 59 leaves no room for doubt. The crowd understood exactly what he was saying. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So, backing up to verse 53, they challenge him. Who do you think you are? Are you actually claiming to be greater than our father Abraham? I mean, that was basically heresy and blasphemy in itself uh, to claim to be greater than Abraham. But Jesus goes way beyond that. He says, My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. I know him, and I keep his word. Before Abraham was born, I, and normal grammar would tell us it should be I was. Before Abraham was born, I was. That's not what Jesus says. Before Abraham was born, I am. And again, their response in verse 59 shows me they understood clearly what he meant by I am. It's a reference back to Exodus 3 again. I am that I am. Before Abraham was even born, I am the eternal God. I am the eternally existent one. In John 10, we find another one of these I am claims by Jesus. Um, John 10, beginning with verse 7. Here Jesus claims to be the gate or the door. In other words, he's the only entrance into salvation. He's the only entrance into God God's presence, and God's kingdom. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. 
all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but I am the gate. I am the door. I am the entrance. And he'll amplify that a little bit further in the Gospel of John and simply say, I am the way. I am the way to the Father. I am the access to God. And while we're here in John 10, we'll look at two more quickly, and we'll finish here for this session, and it'll take us one more to complete this, because there's still a lot of good stuff left in John's Gospel. John 10, uh, verse 11 here, Jesus makes another claim, I am the good shepherd. Of course, we all know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And any Jewish person listening to this, they understood that God was the shepherd of Israel. And this was another amazing, bold claim for Jesus to make, to actually say, I am that shepherd. Starting with verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. I am the Good Shepherd. And one more, while we're here in chapter 10, drop down to verse 30. This leaves no room for doubt. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Very clearly, Jesus is now declaring, I am God. I am deity. I am not just a prophet, not just a moral man. I am equal to my Father. We are one. Verse 31. Notice again, their response tells me that they understood what he was claiming. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And of course, in their delusion... They thought they were doing God's service because a blasphemer 
was to be stoned. Any human who claimed to be deity, to be to claim to be God, was to be stoned. That was blasphemy. That's why they're picking up the stones. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Listen to this carefully. But for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, they got part of it right. They understood what he was claiming. You claim to be God. That's the part they got right. The part they got wrong is, you a mere man. No, not a mere man. He is God claiming to be God. And the only time you can claim to be God and not be a liar or a lunatic is if you are God. So they understood these claims that he was making but they couldn't make the connection that he, a mere man, was something more than a mere human. He was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, and God himself. I and the Father are one. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? We have read this earlier in this study. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Now we're going to stop here for tonight. Let's just summarize once again. As you begin to look at this amazing list of claims that Jesus makes about himself, you have to come to one of those three conclusions. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. You can't have it in between. And it really is absurd if you look closely at all of these claims and then think about what many people commonly say. Well, I'll believe that Jesus was a great teacher. He may have even been the greatest teacher. He gave some really good parables and some really good moral teachings. He was a great moral man, and he laid down his life. He was a, a martyr for the cause. I will concede that much, but no, I can't agree that he's God that he's the only way to God, that he's Messiah, Savior, King, Lord, Shepherd, 
giver of eternal life, etc., etc. But notice the, the failure in that logic. He can't be a good teacher and be teaching lies. He can't be a good teacher and be out of his mind or delusional. And these claims are either going to be backed up or we have to dismiss Jesus as a liar or a lunatic. Or the miracles, the works, the signs, the wonders, and especially his resurrection from the dead three days after his crucifixion, that would be the final proof to the world that he is and was everything that he claimed to be. And of course, we know he's risen from the dead. We know that he's now declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. And you and I can stake our life on every single one of these claims. We can trust Jesus with our whole life, with our whole heart, if we're hungry, if we're thirsty, if we're lost, if we're in darkness, whatever our situation, he is the answer. He claimed to have a solution to every one of our human needs and human problems. And time and time again, he says the solution is simple. If you believe in me, you will not be hungry. You will not go thirsty. You will not walk in darkness. You will not die in your sins. You will be saved from sin, and you will enjoy eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the Bible. I thank you for the Word of God which you've given to us. And we've seen without any shadow of a doubt from Genesis to Revelation, you have preserved your Word for us. This is the inspired, God-breathed, authoritative message from a loving God to a fallen mankind. And Lord, in your word, we read numerous claims that your son, Jesus, made when he was here on the earth. Amazing claims that no other human being has ever made, let alone even come close to fulfilling. And God, we can praise you tonight because every single claim that Jesus made concerning himself is true. He proved them to be true. He is the one. He is the great I am. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you tonight. We surrender to you. We put our hope. We put our confidence. We put our trust in you. God bless all those joining in this Bible study tonight, either by phone or internet, or even listening to the recording. God, I pray that you would breathe faith into every one of our hearts, that we would have reasons to believe. We would know that we have a firm foundation, that we are building our lives upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and that rock can never be shaken. God, Help us to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ, always ready 
always prepared to give an answer to anyone concerning our hope in Jesus Christ. God bless each and every one tonight. Give us your peace. Keep us as the apple of your eye. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.